Welcome to the podcast, brother. Welcome to the podcast, brother. This is Losing Lost. Today we are discussing episode 16 of season one of ABC's Lost. It first aired on February 16th, 2005. It was written by Drew Goddard, directed by Jack Bender, and it is a Sawyer-centric episode. There's actually quite a bit to say about this one, but Derek, what did you think of Outlaws? Well, when you had said the last episode was about exactly one thing, I now would argue it was about two things, and this episode (laughs) is about exactly one thing. It is... The most optional side quest in a serialized television show I've ever seen. Oh, I so disagree. I strongly disagree. And I enjoyed it, but I'm not even sure I would place it higher than the last episode. Wow. Really? Yeah. What did you think of this episode? I loved it. I would consider this premium lost. This has everything that I like in a lost episode. It has a flashback that tells us more about the character. It has a bunch of interesting Island stuff going on. It has some really, really great character moments. The campfire scene between Sawyer and Kate is one of my favorite, I think exchanges in the show, the little moment between Hurley and Charlie when they're digging the grave and Saeed coming to Charlie. And we even get, a lock parable, which at this point, as much as I like them, are becoming a trope that is <laughs> a little ridiculous. Get a little bit of John Terry. And uh, we get some John Terry, which is always the MVP of, of Law, so it's always a good time. I do want to bring up, this episode was written by Drew Goddard. In terms of movies, he wrote Cloverfield, he wrote and directed Cabin in the Woods, he wrote The Martian... He's written for a bunch of television. He wrote for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He wrote for Angel. He wrote for Alias. This is the first episode he wrote for Lost, but he would write many, many more episodes of it. And um, he also would go on to write for Daredevil and The Good Place. He's good. He's a great writer. Sort of in the way that The Moth was written by Paul Dini, who is, you know, a big-time television comic book guy. This felt like a very contained episode. It was... I think I actually like this episode more than Confidence Man. And in fact, when in my memory, I always confuse the two because that initial flashback that opens the episode is just emblazoned in my memory. And I always think that that's the first flashback we get of Sawyer, but obviously it's not because we don't even learn who he is until the end of that one. But yeah, no, I um, I'm I'm surprised to hear you say it's about one thing for you what is what is the one thing is it the murder <laughs> yeah it's it's Sawyer how why he was in Australia <laughs> and the murder yeah no it's it's the that's the one thing um I that's why I was surprised here you say there's interesting island stuff because I'm like I I'm gonna have to contend on that <laughs> what <laughs> What interesting island stuff are you talking about? Locke found two bags of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Those were on the same page. I also have a huge issue with Charlie's busy work with the thingamajig. <laughs> I, I think like, that was great. It was genius. <laughs> what is happening? He's <laughs> shucking a, 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 
I guess I don't know if it's a coconut or what that no, no, was. No. That was fine. His first scene when oh, that first thing, yeah. Set. I have no idea what the hell's going on there. What I, was um, he doing? <laughs> I I believe that I read on Lostpedia that there was some cut material that would have been him trying to turn that into a shovel. Oh, but uh, okay, that would follow. That would make sense. As it is, I'm like, what? What is happening? Yeah, it the fact that it never comes back up is infuriating because it's so distracting and doesn't make any sense. And it it looks like Charlie is just pretending to do something, which he is, because obviously Dominic yeah. Monaco is like, I don't know what you want me to. It's like when they were trying to get when they were asking Michael to gut the fish, where it's like, here's a fish, here's a knife, gut it for us. And he's like, No, I, that's not how anybody would gut a fish. Why are you making me do this? Yeah. No. So okay. So this is what Lostpedia says. When Claire approached him, Charlie would have been fashioning a shovel out of a golf club. But obviously that's not what happens. Yeah, it's it's weird and it's and it's noticeably weird. I'm glad that you two were like, what what is happening? Here? It's so distracting and it's it's in <laughs> Well, because like I was even like I was trying to figure out is he trying to Jerry rig an amp? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. It's so weird. I will say, though, I mean, in a weird way, this episode had me check myself a bit where I feel like I went into this saying I appreciate Lost when it is a character driven show and not a Lost lore show. Mm -hmm. And this episode made me seriously question why I said that, (laughs) because... Sawyer and the boar, man. I, I don't care. I, oh, man. but I, it's not about, it's not about the boar though. I mean, it, it is about the boar, but it's, it also, <laughs> this is one of those things where it's how much of this is the character reading something into the events and how much is it the Island actively fucking with our survivors? Well, okay. So I do think this episode more so than any other one so far as clearly as they possibly could says this is purgatory mhm mm-hmm. like that is absolutely certain between uh, murder regrets jack's dad saying this is as close to hell as you can get without getting burned yep and you're suffering and- you're here too and here's here's an interesting fun fact. So this is the first episode of the second batch of episodes that was ordered by ABC. So initially, after the pilot was picked up, ABC ordered, I think it was 12 or 13 episodes, which ended with Homecoming. So that first batch, like Homecoming would have been the end of a first season if ABC was still thinking about renewing it. But Lost was such a hit that they called for a another nine episodes. The point that I'm making here is the writers had time to think about where the show is going. And the very first episode after this second order really doubles down on that. Hey, guys, hint, hint, this is purgatory thing. So I'm still I'm still stuck on that. And I am I I, I think the show was was always intending to say that they are in fact all dead. 
I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, I mean, this episode especially. <laughs> yeah. Because even the whispers are like from the dead man. And, oh, yeah, man. It's, can, can we talk about the whispers? So my memory is that at the end of the show, we never get a definitive answer about what the whispers are. I remember that the whispers are either a byproduct or a means of traveling across the island. Like it has something to do with ghosts, but we never really get a good solid answer as to what it is. That, is that right? Do you remember? It was that, yeah, Hurley's in the jungle and sees Michael who's dead. Mm-hmm. And Hurley's like, are those the dead voices? And Michael's like, yeah. But, oh man, but does it, <laughs> But does that tell us, you know? No. (laughs) I thought that the voices, yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, I guess even thinking of it as purgatory, you would think the voices would be things like Sawyer experienced, where it's things from his childhood or his past. But it feels like season two and three they transform the whispers into the others and then backtrack. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man, but I did, I did want to get into, I just wanted to clarify the, um, the second order thing. So the associated press put out this article, which around the time that white rabbit aired, the article says ABC's plane crash castaway drama lost has been picked up for a full season, which means another nine episodes will be filmed in addition to the 13 already in production. The series is also one of the most expensive ever filmed in Hawaii and yada, yada, yada. Uh, The show is set to be filmed on Oahu through mid January after holiday break. So yeah, this is something that I didn't know that the original order for the series was just for 13 episodes. And then by the time, you know, the fifth episode had aired, they were like, yes, give us some more of that. There was never a break. I think Homecoming aired like just the week prior to this one. But in terms of production, they had finished the initial order um, or they were finishing the initial order. And ABC was like, yes, more of that, please. Everybody loves it. So that might bleed into what I presume is the fact you were going to tell me, which is, is that why they made the call for, hey, the Red Sox won the World Series? <laughs> So there is something about that here. It also says that prior to this episode, Emily de Ravine, um, Claire, uh, was not a full cast member, that she was a guest star, which I have not been able to find the source for that. Interesting. But, was that yeah. Were any of the others part-time? No. Apparently everybody else, like all of our main cast, will were already main. But again, I lost Pedia, the article that they linked to for that, does not say that about Emily de Ravine, so that might not be correct. So here, so Lesbia says, the Boston Red Sox had won the 2004 World Series by the time this episode aired, but it had not yet occurred at the time that the events of the episode take place, according to the timeline. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that great moment in season three when there's Jack's in the prison and it's the World Series, and Jack's like, is that the Red Sox winning the World Series? Yeah. <laughs> no, I... Uh... That's like, you know, capturing the zeitgeist. I got to imagine that was just, ah, they must have been so, so happy that they had this gift plopped onto their lap of like, oh, we should make that a character thing. 
Because <laughs> I, I feel like that's got to be one of those things where people going into the office and it's like, God, GCIC, how nuts people went over the Red Sox winning the series. Well, it broke the curse. It's like, oh, dude, dude. Yeah, no, I, I uh, you know, again, good, good on them to uh, – I, I, I guess it's not technically a retcon because it's not as though we saw Jack wearing a Chicago Cubs hat or something. But like, it, <laughs> I like the idea of working current events into the lore. I feel like that was also the writers showing the audience that, yes – the real world still exists. They're not dead. The island is real. It's not part of purgatory, which I, I think they swerved pretty hard uh, after the first season, which I, I fully intend to do a deep research dive uh, when we have some time to find out when did they start really deciding, okay, we're not going to do that. Cause I don't, I don't think they've ever, I don't think anybody on the writing staff has ever confirmed. It was always meant to be purgatory. It just very strongly feels that way again i i i get the impression at this point they're in a tough spot of i'm gonna use a weird analogy when lindsay lohan was on her recovery tour more or less uh, (laughs) where this was like i don't know 2016 she's like out of rehab and you know you know finally maybe getting her life together and as of course she's going through this, it gets leaked that she had a little black book of every celebrity or every man that she slept with. And the list was long and, you know, some men vehemently denied it. Others were like, yeah, that tracks. And I think if I'm remembering right, uh, Lindsay Lohan publicly was like, yep, I slept with all of them. And to a point where I think, she probably didn't. And this was just some smear campaign, but like enough of it was true that if she was to deny half of it and say, Oh, well, I didn't sleep with these three, but yeah, these 12, yes, that happened. You know, it would, it would come across as more humiliating and embarrassing and like, okay, well now you're just splitting hairs. If you slept with James Franco and not Dave Franco. Um, and (laughs) And um, so she just shot out there. Yep. It's all true. I slept with all of them. And um, that's how I feel about the Lost Riders, where they've been. <laughs> it's like, so did you guys have a plan? And I feel like the re- honest answer would be what well, we did. Here's what we all thought. Here's what we were writing towards. And then if you start bringing up stuff like, so why was there a polar bear? And they'd be like, uh, well, OK, we didn't. We didn't have a plan for that. That was like a, a hook for the, the first, you know, they start to they start to pick apart things. It's like, yeah, if we don't have an answer to all this, then it feels like, well, so you didn't have a plan. That's that's <laughs> that's my analogy for why I don't think anyone has flat out said, yes, it was purgatory because I'm sure then someone would be like, but the Red Sox, you mentioned the Red Sox. And then I'd be like, well, yeah, but that that happened after, you know, it's like. It's like rather than waffle on it, they're just going to say the plane crash. They just they crashed on an island. That's the story. (laughs) Magic. You know what this reminds me of is the fact that nobody really talks about Lost anymore. And (laughs) it used to be such a big part of 
pop culture. Like even like I'd say even like five years after the show ended, people were still making lost references and it feels somehow like it's been left behind. And I don't know if that's because there's been so much streaming stuff or so many shows have taken a cue from lost and, you know, sort of superseded it in some ways or that it, it did leave a bad taste in so many people's mouths. But it reminds me that one of the reasons why we started this is just because we still think about it. We still talk about it. Yeah. I, I know that Lindelof and I think Abrams both say that a reboot of Lost is inevitable. Mm. And I also think I've read interviews probably within the same six-month span where they said it wouldn't be possible to do it today. And the reasoning they give is, yes, it's... It's a hot commodity. It is. It was profitable, but if you did reboot it and just call it lost, you run the risk of people already having expectations and knowing how this goes. And I think that's why we see more spiritual successors mm. than we do lost reboot. Because you take a show like Manifest, where uh, I haven't seen it, but my understanding <laughs> is a bunch of people on a plane, plane lands, and it's been five years. And How interesting. I, I think that's the whole premise. And everyone I know who has seen that show says, oh, yeah, it looks like Lost. And I wouldn't doubt that that's basically lost without the island and <laughs> and yeah i uh, there's there's been a bunch of others i think i've already told you but it's worth a plug cruel summer is easily one of the best lost inspired shows and and i don't care if someone comes at me and says well it was based on a book uh because <laughs> it is clearly playing on the Let's have a flashback, a present, and a flash forward. And each episode, you follow one character through. It's basically, it's an event that is a year in between. So it was like 1993, 1994, 1995. And they very cleverly have a, a female lead whose hair is very different in the three different time periods. <laughs> and, and it is expertly done. It is a fantastic show. Easily. Lost inspired, as it is a mystery, it unfolds with new character revelations and whatnot. You've brought it up before, and I um I still need to check it out. I it that's a very that's very high praise. It is so good, and it oh, and it hurts. And <laughs> I would put good money on the bet that Disney will reboot Lost within our lifetimes. Yeah, that feels right. And what's crazy about that is that I actually am not opposed to that idea. I am, in general, opposed to all reboots and remakes because they usually suck. You watch Star Wars. I did. <laughs> but the thing is, because Lost was such an epic show in all of the stuff they threw at the wall, I think... By just existing, Lost 
shows you what you can do with that format of the show and what you shouldn't do. And if somebody actually put care into making a show, like you could still, you could still do it and it could still be completely different from the original. Like it wouldn't even necessarily need to be on an Island. The concept of lost a bunch of people crash land or wind up in some strange place and it's full of mysteries and they also have to deal with their own baggage. That idea can translate to so many different kinds of settings. My issue is I don't think that is how it will be remade. I think the way it will be remade is that it will have a cast of 17 to 24 year olds and it will be very cheap and it will not be shot on location and it will be canceled before its first season is over because it will just be a shameless cash grab to cash in on the IP of lost. And I'm not saying that Disney has done that in the past, but I could very much see it going that way. Well, have you seen any of these reboot slash continuations like the Fuller House or Girl Mm -hmm. Meets World? Yeah. And like you said, I think you could do Lost Without the Island. I don't think that they would do it without the island. Although I do think they wouldn't shoot it on the island. No. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could also see them go in the Girl Meets World or Fuller House route of, you know, I'm sure, I don't know what Jorge Garcia is up to today. I'm going to guess not much. And, oh, uh, and uh, well, not not in like a mean way, but in the, uh, he doesn't need to. And so if someone came at him with like, you know, a hundred couple hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. I don't know what they, what they give people. I guess nothing. That's why there's a writer's strike. Uh, but no, there's a, uh, uh, um, but, uh, I, uh, I got him. You got him. <laughs> I could see them making a gray haired Jorge Garcia hanging out on the Island being like, Hey, I bet you're all wondering why you're here. So dudes, uh, <laughs> I, I brought you. But here's the thing. If you did it that way, then there really would be no mysteries on the island because Hurley wouldn't keep that shit from people. He'd be like, hey, you're all here for a reason. Come on over. Everything's fine. No one's going to chase you. There's no smoke monster anymore. No, see, here's how you do it. ABC, write this down. Um, <laughs> so in the same way that season five, we saw the the time skip when the wheel got stuck or the wheel got ah, jammed okay so you could have it that hurley is out of time and that he is he's like i don't i genuinely have no idea what year it is because due to an incident with a polar bear um <laughs> it shot me somewhere i have no idea where i am which you know it can add a little bit to the um kids being like who is this guy? Why is he saying dude? What the hell is that? And they look up on their I-90 special K phones that, you know, <laughs> from the future. You know, but you know what I mean? Like, you could easily have this as Hurley's is at a different time. The other thing is that you could do a spin off of that where they do the soft reboot route of Hurley is in a flash. It is a flash sideways or he has a glimpse of a flash sideways. Mm. So therefore, 
things are different here. He's like, oh, we had a smoke monster. So maybe instead of a, a black smoke monster, there's a white steam monster. And people are like, what the hell is that thing? He's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I actually really like the idea of a white steam monster. It's so stupid. But... <laughs> you know what? I, I see I see what you're putting down. I think for me, it would be easier because Lost was so complicated to just like start with like a clean slate. Like, yeah, it's still basically the same show. There's still mysteries, but maybe you don't do the Dharma Initiative. Maybe you don't do, you know, Rousseau on the island. It's a different kind of thing. Like I can even see them like rebooting it in space or rebooting it in like a post-apocalyptic thing because that seems to be really hot right now. But yeah, I, I see what you're, I'm picking up what you're laying down and I, yeah, it'd be fun. I, um, I do think it will be rebooted and I think the odds are good that it will be terrible and nobody will watch it because it's not worth watching. And let's, let's be fair to Lost as something that's no longer talked about. Now, I don't know because I barely socialize. But does anyone <laughs> talk about Game of Thrones now, what, two, three years after it's ended? Well, that is a special case because Game of Thrones was the hot show forever. And the last season shat the bed to such a degree that it blew up the show. This is a phenomenon that gets talked about a lot in that everybody loved that show. It was the biggest, most highly rated show of all time and the final season was so poorly received that it completely killed the momentum apparently like there's like a there was like a bunch of merchandise and there was a bunch of spin-offs that never happened because the 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 fallout was was so toxic but you know now they've got the new show house of the dragon which shamefully i absolutely love I'm just a sloppy old simp for for game of thrones content but um <laughs> But yeah, I think I think it was different because I feel that the drop off from Lost happened earlier. I think there were already people dropping off by season three. And so it was this. I think the show more gradually died than it completely burned up to use the, the metaphor. It, it faded away. It didn't burn out unlike a good rock star, whereas Game of Thrones absolutely burned up and it, it, it burned up to a crisp. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I thought it was something about how, because I know people talk about this all the time with streaming services and how because shows aren't weekly, you don't absorb them and talk about them. It's just what's the next thing on my in my queue. But that that is a good point. Game of Thrones having a very different lifespan than uh, Lost. And I will say as a fan, I think, you know, I think the show was pretty decent up to about somewhere around the fifth season which is when they ran out of book material <laughs> and then things really just started going off the rails, which, you know, I, I know a lot of people like to blame the showrunners for that. And they certainly deserve a lot of the blame, like saying stuff like Daenerys just forgot about the iron fleet, but also, you know, George R. R. Martin is not blameless in this. He, um, <laughs> he was telling us for a, over a decade that he had the next book coming out, but you know what? We're not here to we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. We're here to talk about Lost. We're here to talk about oh, right. Outlaws. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I stand by what I said at the beginning, which is the reason we can digress is because I don't have much to say about this. And I don't mean that as an insult. I think that it is a good episode. I I think it is a great episode, and I am going to prove you wrong. All right. All right. Well, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. We start in a flashback, which I don't know if, if this is the first episode where we start in a flashback. But as we mentioned at the top, this is one of the most awful things to see. It is horrifying it is tragic it's scary it's really genuinely scary sawyer a young sawyer is woken up by his mother she hides him under the bed we hear his dad just pounding on the door sounding like a monster the fact that we don't see the violence that's being done i think that's part of it i also think that the fact that like this happens like there's no talking out of it there's no saying like, oh, you know, she was only wounded, you know, that's like, this is a kid seeing his parents being murdered in front of him and then his father presumably coming in to kill him as well and then settling for killing himself. That's some heavy shit. Yeah. No, that's, um, and like you, I, I also, I confuse the flashbacks in this one with Confidence Man as mm-hmm. a, uh, where to start. But it is, uh, it even goes back to the uh, filmmaking 101 of less is more mm-hmm. uh oh yeah you don't see much and yet you see a whole lot because even honestly like seeing sawyer's dad step into the room with these cowboy boots yep it even just gives you an idea of where they live mm-hmm. and what kind of a guy his dad likely viewed himself as i.e a cowboy and that and, shot uh, of the boots coming into the room, like under the bed, that's just etched in my memory. As yeah. is like the, the the slide after he shot himself, like the the way that they just like go to the side. Oh, oh man, yeah. I think we talked about this last week, where if we didn't rank episodes by the episode as a whole, but like individual moments, this flashback is so high up there as just you're just watching this and just being like, holy hell. This is intense. Definitely a uh, a strong start <laughs> to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Sawyer wakes up to a boar in his tent, which is terrifying. He hits it with a pipe, and it runs away, dragging his tent with it. And um, I think most of these shots are of an actual boar. And I know Sawyer doesn't know this, but y- you generally want to leave boars alone in the wild. They are extremely dangerous. I think a lot of people uh, just have the impression that they're just big pigs, but they are big pigs with attitude and tusks and they will murder you. Yes. I remember seeing a pack of them in Hawaii once and thinking, Oh, how cute. And immediately Googling and seeing like, Oh no, 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 no. Stay far, (laughs) far away. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what it is about those shots of like seeing the pig's face like in the flashlight and just seeing its eye like it's such a a human looking eye staring out of this big hideous face like i don't know i so my wife loves pigs and i also think pigs are pretty cool they're very smart they can be very cute but i think there's also something that i've always found just kind of inherently scary about pigs i don't know why like there's just something unsettling to me about pigs 
It's probably George Orwell. <laughs> there's a there's a great Clive Barker story about um about a talking pig who is basically has a bunch of like Boy Scouts or something in thrall. Anyway, I digress. So your chase is after the the boar into the haunted damn jungle where he hears whispers and a man saying it'll come back around, which is haunting. Yeah. <laughs> You're still not moved. Okay. So this next scene is, I think, happier than we have ever seen Saeed on this show. He, <laughs> he comes over just to give Sawyer shit. He's just like, so what happened? And Sawyer's telling him, and he's just, Sawyer's, Saeed just has his big shitty grin on his face. Like, it couldn't have happened to a nicer asshole. I think this scene, and again, I, I think this episode is where it's strongest, is with the, the one-on-one character interactions for the most mm-hmm. part. A, I think this is a nice parallel in the same way that the boar maybe represents Sawyer's baggage over killing an innocent man and how he needs to let it go. I like that the first sequence of of this episode of Sawyer interacting with another person is with Saeed, who obviously between the two of them, they've been through an additional trauma. <laughs> and Saeed is very much in a place where... I get the impression that Saeed has forgiven himself. He was apologetic. He did leave uh, with intent never to return. And when he was injured, uh, volunteered himself as like, you can take me. Let's do it. I deserve it. And, you know, there was this unspoken but sort of mutual respect born of that where I think Saeed is blown away that a man would withstand torture having no information and also i think sawyer knows that like for all of his big talk yeah Said can take him and <laughs> he knows that <laughs> so i i like the dynamic between the two it's, it's lovely to see naveen andrews having a great time <laughs> he really is my read on it isn't that Said forgives himself for torturing Sawyer so much as it's like a Mark Ruffalo Hulk thing where it's like, that's my secret. I'm always angry. I think Saeed's secret is that he always just hates himself for what, you know, what he's done in his life. But yeah, I take your point. And I, and I also like the idea that, you know, as we talked about in the, I think the confidence man episode, Sawyer has no problem beating up Boone because Boone isn't worth anything on the Island, but he doesn't lift a finger to hurt Jack because not only does he know, Jack is the doctor, but he knows that he doesn't gain anything socially by beating up the, you know, ostensible leader. I agree with you. I think he knows that Saeed is not one to be messed with. So we get our second flashback of the episode. Uh, Sawyer going into a hotel room with a lady. He is interrupted by someone named Hibbs, who he is obviously not fond of. After some roughhousing, Hibbs claims he's here to make amends for the quote-unquote Tampa job. And claims to have a dossier on the real Sawyer. And uh, sort of like when Said was willing to torture Sawyer in Confidence Man because he disliked Sawyer and was willing to overlook some holes in Locke's story. I think that Sawyer is so traumatized by what happened to him that even though he knows he shouldn't trust Hibbs, that he, he goes along with this. I would have liked to... I mean, and there's so much stuff that happens in this episode. I know you disagree. 
so that you couldn't really fit it in. But I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more of him being convinced that this is the guy. Because all that really happens is he says, oh, I love Southern women. And it's, apparently that seals it for Sawyer. Yeah, this is the weakest part of this episode. This is immediately suspicious. It's not as though he's just coming off of a successful job. It sounds like I was going to kill you the next time I see you. And yeah, he literally says, yeah, I'll, I, I, I told you I'd kill you when I saw you again. I think that it's either they cut the scene way down to a point where just deal with the fact that he accepted this and had reason to believe that this was Sawyer. But it does feel lazy because if this is all it takes to get Sawyer to kill Sawyer, you'd almost think there's got to be a trail of bodies mm-hmm. uh, behind him. Yeah, like memento style. Yeah. Especially Sawyer being a con man. And I I will chalk it up to him just being so upset by the mere possibility that this could be that guy. But if you're going to go to another country and purchase an illegal gun and murder somebody, make sure it's the right guy. Don't just trust a, a, a dossier from this man who obviously has betrayed you in the past. Yeah, man. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so back on the island. Oh, and I'd like to start this off by saying Kate's having a real good day on the island. I feel like in this episode, like I feel like we've had sad Kate for several episodes and we finally get Kate on a mission. Kate being like, hey, Jack, on a, <laughs> on a voluntary mission with with she exercised her own free will and uh, wasn't told no. And yeah. So Kate and Jack are packing up the guns. Kate says she can get the last gun from Sawyer. Wait, and- wait, we got to back up because this is actually another lazy writing thing. Because who is in charge of continuity here? Kate passes Jack the gun and says something to the effect of, thanks for the loner. And he said, always a pleasure. And it's like, were you guys not there the last episode when Jack vehemently told you not to go and fought you tooth and nail to say, don't come with me. Don't give her a gun. I actually took that as her joking about it, as her saying, thanks for the loner. Thanks for nothing. Uh, okay, I will. Uh, but I don't, I don't but, feel know. that's how they did it, but I will accept it. <laughs> it's just it's a minor thing that felt lazy because, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. A very salty Jack says the last time Kate helped fix a Sawyer problem, she made out with him and he didn't even have what they were after. And Kate fires right back with she only did that because torturing him didn't work. I was like, touche, Kate. Yes. Jack in his place. First of all, you're not his girlfriend. He, he's not your boyfriend. He has no right to be salty. He's out, the way he does it too is just he's just he's just like, yeah, you're gonna make out with him again. Yeah. Like maybe I, I will, like, Jack. <laughs> I love when he which is like well, like his torture movie look, and he just kind of like he does that like awkward laugh of like <laughs> that's i'm not going to get away from, with that one am i like we're never going to let that go no we will not because it's horrifying jack says it's not worth it because he doesn't want sawyer doing any more kissy face with his not girlfriend and it seems like they kind of leave it at that but then you know later on kate's just sort of like hey sawyer i'm here to take your gun back by whatever means necessary 
Claire finds Charlie. This, this is the this is the note that I wrote down. Claire finds Charlie doing God knows what with some debris. <laughs> <laughs> she seems to be trying to get closer to him, and he bails. He says he has a thing that he needs to do. He doesn't feel spiteful or like a scorned teenage girlfriend kind of thing. It very much plays like a. Uh, and I think that's why that lead into the line is also great when she's like, I had a dream. Uh, you were in a little bit of it. And he's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I think it's like Charlie doesn't want to be around Charlie. So, but no, I, I have nothing really to, to say about it. I mean, I think it would have been better without the thingamajig. Uh, yeah, I... It's so hard because it's like, obviously on an island, you can't lie about not having something to do. <laughs> but given that they give him good busy work later with the coconut or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I think something like that might have been um, just something I think maybe more believable than nothing. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it would have been better if he was like pulling out like a tarp or a blanket or whatever they end up wrapping Ethan in. What I do like, though, is I took him not telling Claire what he was doing as him trying to protect her from having to think about Ethan. I didn't read it as him being sullen and being like, Oh, I've got to go do something, whatever, but more like I'm going to go bury the man that I shot because I love you. And I don't want you to have to think about either the guy who kidnapped you or the fact that I killed a man. That's a great point. I hadn't considered that, but that's a hundred percent what that was i think so i mean he might have just been sulking i don't know no i think you're right especially that idea that maybe he's putting together or trying to forge a shovel no that that makes a lot more sense sawyer finds his tarp he hears the whispers again and is knocked over not really attacked by the boar and we get a son of a bitch sawyer's catchphrase i you know and this was a weird son of a bitch he's very angry with it (laughs) <laughs> I, I feel like Sawyer's catchphrase, in the same way that, like, if you look at Urkel's Did I Do That, like, what sells it is the intonation of, Did I do that? <laughs> uh, when I think of Sawyer's son of a bitch, it's like when he was dropping the case and whatever the case may be, where he's like, it's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, just very much, um, it, it almost feels like the PG-13 version of, what the fuck? Very much so. My read on the show so far is that the writers haven't discovered yet that they really like it when Josh Holloway says son of a bitch. I think it's yeah. just come up naturally and it's not uh, it has not achieved its final form. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Sawyer tells Kate the boar is harassing him. She tells him Locke can take it out, but he is out for revenge. Our next flashback in Sydney Sawyer gets a gun. We are told handguns are illegal in Sydney. According to USA Today, it is illegal to intentionally import firearms without approval in Australia, but it does not say if it is illegal to own them. According to NSW, what is that? You must have a license and a permit to carry a gun, which is, I mean, it's basically what it's supposed to be over here. All right, well, we'll move on from that. Maybe it's illegal to have a handgun in Australia. It's probably certainly illegal for a tourist to have a handgun in Australia. So we'll leave it at that. The man notes that someone buying this type of gun with hollow point rounds is not looking to scare or steal, but to kill. 
I love this scene. It's the caveat I give this episode is that it has a lot of one-on-one scenes that I think are very good. This is definitely one of them because I do love, I should have written it down, but the um, double entendre to the guy saying like, hey, when you hold up a gun and you uh, have the intent to kill, there's no refunds. And, you know, sure, literally, there will be no refunds for uh, the gun, (laughs) but also very much like, hey, if you kill a guy, you can't take it back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, it's very, like, I... This actor who's in in it for one scene is very good. Like, I really yeah. believe that this is a guy who sells people guns. And he, I also like that, like, I feel like in a lot of movies and TV shows, like, this character is gross or weird or threatening. And this guy just seems really upfront about everything. He's like, I am selling you a gun. Here is my advice about having a gun. You're going to do what you're going to do. But, buddy... There are no refunds. Yes. No, I, we mentioned this a few times on a few different episodes, but this is one of the things that I think, especially on a rewatch, contributes to Lost's longevity, mm. which is things that you would typically see even today, 20 years later on a movie or a TV show would be this character being like, hey, man, you know, I, I got the, they might be that guy that's like, I got this piece, you know, and it's like, and it's real good. All right. You know, it's you're not going to miss anything. And I <laughs> I know what you're going to do with that thing. OK. Uh-huh. And it's like, it's like, yeah, OK, we got got it. Or, yeah, there'll be like some gross slime ball. that's like, you know, I've got an AK. If you'd rather I can uh, you can take out a whole church. And it's like, oh, God, no, I don't want that guy either. Um, <laughs> no, this guy, it seems like he knows Hibbs. Seems like, uh, like, because I even love the the back and forth. It feels like a real rapport when uh, Sawyer's like, he says something to like, Hibbs is an asshole. And he's like, yeah, I was right about that. Um, <laughs> and it's like shortly after, he's like, oh, you're the guy from Hibbs. You know, like it's uh, it's done in such a way where it's like, yeah, it feels very real, very lived in. And even just the, the locale, you know, this isn't like he pulls up to a warehouse mm-hmm. uh, in his car and, oh, I've got the stuff to come around back so no one follows you here it's like no it's like it looks like some sort of fishery or metal crafting and it's like <laughs> oh no there's a real business going on here this yeah. is quite literally a side gig like it's uh and even just that panning shot i don't know if it's real or not but going from the um what is that thing the australian equivalent of the statue of liberty the, the, <laughs> the, the, the opera house opera house the, the sydney <laughs> opera panning from that to the wharf just yeah well so well done i love that and i kind of shout out to jack bender who um the guy who directed more episodes of lost than anybody else and whom we've previously shouted out on this uh, podcast for being uh, just a great director like you always you can tell he's it's one of his episodes because the shots are good it's not just a flat run-of-the-mill tv shot it's like there's there's art to it like it the camera moves and there's a real there's a sense of movement and there's a sense of rhythm to things and there's some really just really nice shots so yeah back on the island it turns out charlie's thing is bearing ethan and hurley helps which is nice and uh he goes through (laughs) a whole scenario of how this is going to end with ethan's corpse rising up and chasing them through the jungle and hurley's it's such a short little moment, but his just look at Charlie and asking him, are you all right? Feels so sincere. 
And it's very, it's delivered without any jokiness. It's just Hurley asking about his friend. I do like this moment and the scene. I will say, like, uh, seems like you like a few of the uh, the moments in this episode. I I don't hate the episode. It's just on the grand scheme of things, it's just very okay. Something in this scene that was weird to me, uh, after just praising Jack Bender's cinematography, I don't hate this shot, but over the course of them digging, did take you out of it for a sec when it looks like they're digging with a blue screen in the background. There is one shot that I noticed. It wasn't the whole time, but yeah, I, I no, yeah. That. There was one shot that looks like, like the lighting is like wrong in the it's trees. It's super something. weird. It looks like purple or something. Yes. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, I totally noticed that. And it was very odd. I wonder if it was like a pickup shot where they, they couldn't use what they had and they had to just throw them in like the studio and in front of a green screen or something. But yeah, it was so strange. And I, I think the reason it's there at all is because they, Taken on its own, it is a beautiful shot if it is blue screen or green screen or whatever. But I think they did it where something about it feels artificial. And I think it Mm -hmm. might be that the body in the tarp, it has a hand sticking out. It's framed in such a way that like you can see the hand out of the tarp. And then you see Charlie and Hurley behind like digging. It almost feels too comic booky. Yeah, the lighting isn't right. It feels like there's a different lighting going on. The lighting of the background doesn't quite fit the lighting on them, doesn't quite fit the lighting on the hand. Yeah, it's weird. It is, yeah. And you're right, We (laughs) after shouting out Jack Bender for being a great director. But I don't, you know, who knows what happened there. It could have been something where, you know, they put the episode together and they're like, oh, we have like, there's somebody riding a ski-doo in the background or something. (laughs) I wonder how often that happened, where... You know, they're they're trying to film something and then like there's like an airplane in the in the background, which will happen when you're filming. on a. It'll happen when the hatch runs out of food. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, man, we're going to get there. And then, you know, because we had that previous episode where Charlie's asking Hurley if he's holding out. And then it turns out later on he does hold out, which feels like a little bit of a betrayal of the character. But anyway, Hurley asks Saeed if he can talk to Charlie. And <laughs> leave it to Hurley to not be familiar with the term PTSD uh, and to call it shell shock. But you know what? Actually, now that I think about this, this was filmed in 2004. PTSD was not as much a part of the conversation as it would become post-Second Iraq War. So, yeah, it's not on Hurley. <laughs> what well, I, I do like, though, that he asked the question. What was it? He's... Uh... He's like, oh, he was like, do you ever have that Gulf syndrome or Persian Persian Gulf syndrome? <laughs> He's like, no, that was I was the other side. Remember? Oh like, uh, yeah. Like Hurley, I don't know if you know this, but um, I lived there <laughs> in the jungle. Kate tells Sawyer that he has tracked other people, a bird, a landslide, and himself, but not the boar. She wants carte blanche to take anything from his stash in exchange for helping him and then proceeds to define what carte blanche is, which he takes offense to. And then later at the campfire, Sawyer pulls out a liquor bottle and is absolutely setting up this game for Kate to play with him. Easily the best scene in this entire episode. So good. It's such a good scene. And I think this is the third or fourth time you've said, this is a good scene. So I ask you, there, 
Why is this Doug's favorite episode? There's there are great scenes. I just you want to talk about hey, what happened island plot wise? Nothing. What happened flashback wise? We learned that Sawyer killed a guy. Okay. Oh man. See no. See my problem <laughs> with Homecoming is that I feel like you take that episode away with the exception of killing Ethan and we don't know anything more or less about these characters than we did going into it. Whereas this one, I feel that all of this stuff with Sawyer is so good. We learn more about his conflict. We learn more about his self-hatred. We get some more Kate Sawyer interaction, which is really heating up as her and Jack are cooling down. We yeah, get... I mean, the, the character relationship stuff is great, but no, I mean, we, this is all stuff we know about Sawyer. I mean, it's why they... We they... get Charlie, you know, coming to terms with what he's done. We get Saeed uh, being happy, I think, because his relationship with Shannon is going so well. I, yeah, I think there's, I think there's real stuff here. No, there, there's good character stuff. It's a, it's a really good character-driven episode. It just made me realize that I, I want, I want a little, little island stuff, too. I get it. I get it. So in this scene, we get a a great line that Sawyer says he knows that uh, Kate's never gone to college because if she did, she'd have heard of I never before, which is true. At both colleges I attended, it was called Never Have I Ever. But this is very much a game you play with much alcohol involved. We learn a few things about the two that we might that we didn't know before. Sawyer says he's never been in love, which is that true? I feel like in one of his flashbacks, the the woman who ends up being the mother of his child, I feel like they had a... No! It seemed, it seemed like they were in love. Maybe? She was the long con. Yeah, but he felt bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um... Well, man, we could do a... I mean, I would honestly think that this scene, um, we talked about how grading episodes... You could grade an episode as a whole. Mm. You could probably grade it for its flashbacks. And you could probably grade it for its individual scenes. This one is a whole another level mm. of nuanced and deep because I love the super playful Disneyland and Pink uh, being like the first two nothing questions. Yeah. Or even, frankly, the Kiss the Man as the demonstration which gives us more insight into who Sawyer is, because frankly, again, going all Midnight Cowboy, I would have thought, well, maybe <laughs> at some point he had. And, and yeah, and how I, both of them are a bit of uh, detectives uh, with each other. Because I even love when they start to make what are kind of vicious I-nevers. <laughs> like, like Kate saying, like, I never carried a letter around for 20 years because I couldn't get over my baggage. <laughs> uh is mean and and yet because it is like this intimate quid pro quo free trading carte blanche of information if you will i even love that he looks at her he's mad he's fuming and yet he rolls his eyes because he knows that she's right and takes a drink well that's what's uh, interesting about it is that you're right it, it it would be vicious except it the game reveals that they do know quite a bit about each other at this point. And like, even when he, I don't remember if it was before or after that, but he says, I never pretended to want carte blanche just to hang out with the only other person on this Island who doesn't belong. It's funny how, you know, you'll see shows and 
they'll try to set up a love triangle and you'll just be like, I just don't get why these two people are supposed to be together. There's like, there's a, <laughs> uh, I think we've talked about succession before, but there's in the first season, Shiv ends up with a guy who she previously dated. And the whole time, like his major selling point is that he keeps being like, well, you're going to have an affair with me. And it's like, wait, really? Like, we're not actually going to try to make this guy charming. We're not actually going to come up with a reason why she would sleep with him. It's just, he just says we're going to sleep together and we're supposed to accept that. It's like, ugh. but lost like every time, like we've really built up this relationship. Like here we are like half more than halfway through, you know, all these episodes we've seen Sawyer be gross. We've seen her be disgusted by him, but bit by bit by bit, we've established there are these commonalities and they do have a real attraction to each other. And I think this scene is a really good culmination of that to show, yeah, these two have something. Yeah, I this this whole sequence between them is so well done and so playful and heartfelt mm -hmm. and hard because, yeah, man. Yeah, and, it's uh, uh, hats off to Drew Goddard. He, he wrote a good episode. Yeah, and that's the thing. It never, uh, and I, you know, I know this was written likely within the, at least the same 12 months of the previous episodes. But I know we talked about this a bit too, the power dynamics that have been at play or the, you know, the sexism and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what's great about this scene is it does feel very, everything is very consensual. Everything is very, yeah, it's, it's two people getting to know each other. The only one who's gotten to know Sawyer this well is is Saeed, and it's because he's been inside him. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so is Jack, actually. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's true. <laughs> Although I don't get the impression that Jack gets Sawyer. I think that he's... he's no, we, well, we've talked about that, where it's that Jack yeah. cannot comprehend Sawyer. But yeah, no, this this whole scene is so good. Because I even love, like... That's the thing, too, is Kate voluntarily gives more information than she needs to, as does Sawyer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, you know, I've never been married. And Kate takes a drink, but then also takes a very small one to be like, it didn't last very long. It's like, that's some interesting information. I'm you, You've piqued my interest. I'm intrigued. Is it Nathan Fillion that she's married to? Is that the episode? Or is that a completely so. different thing? Yeah. It, it is. Uh, that episode just pisses me off. All I remember is that Nathan Fillion is in it. That's all. He, I mean, that's he is the saving grace of that. I here's what I remember. She begs the marshal, please, please let me live my life, and he's like, okay. But I, you and I both know that you're gonna run away. But she's like, no, no, I want my life. Okay. And then you know, the next scene, Nathan Fillion passes out like what what did you do to me i'm sorry i can't explain it it's like great <laughs> great brilliant character work really gotta understand kate anyway but we're not talking about that and i'm sure this is intentional but like i again it goes back to that for whatever reason i thought everyone knew that kate was a convict after the first episode i and i don't think so i think that that's no still, they yeah. definitely don't it is a secret known only to hurley and jack and i think that's it 
And I only mention it because I think so. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing is he he verifies it during I never. I do like to even with the I never killed a man, how he waits to see if she drinks. And of course, uh, yeah, Kate, as we've seen, like she could have lied. She could have just not done it, but she, yeah, it's almost like this was the opportunity to tell someone that Jack missed out on, and and uh, so I was like, yep, been there. Anyway, love this scene. I think it's great. Yeah. We learn they both killed a man, and there's some great eye acting from both of them, some great eye yes. acting and space acting. Such, such good eye acting. <laughs> we get a real freaky dream slash flashback with the boar. Uh, in his boyhood room, we hear the whisper again. If the effect was a little bit better, they would have sold this a little bit better. Like it's that it's a very CG bore that comes in there, but it's still like I said, there's something inherently creepy about pigs. So I, um, the idea of a pig coming into your room and whispering something to you really upsets me. Yeah, no, I mean I, I think it is like the. Uh, uh, I know I mentioned George Orwell already, but if 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 the cowboy boots transformed into hooves, I actually think it would have been like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> that would have yeah, I think that would have skirted the line between it would be either ridiculously comical or it would have been horrifying. <laughs> Sawyer wakes up harshly, and Kate is very concerned. We find that the boar has destroyed all of Sawyer's stuff and peed on his shirt. Locke happens by just chewing on some fruit. He claims to be looking for salvage from the plane. I think it's very cute when Sawyer says he doesn't wear cologne and Kate just goes, yeah, you do. Yes. I I wanted to call it out too. Because <laughs> after just playing this honesty game and Sawyer putting up a front in front of other people, it's very cute that he keeps it going. Like it's, ah, I love that. I do love that part. Yeah. And so we get this story from Locke about his sister or his foster sister, Jeannie, who died when he was young. She broke her neck on the monkey bars. And Terry O'Quinn, he's very good at delivering this monologue as he is at delivering every one of these monologues. But as I said before, as much as I like it, <laughs> it's now become a trope on this show that Locke will suddenly pull a completely relevant anecdote out of his ass. I forget what it's called, but the, the Jungian archetype of the, it's like the anima or the animus where there's either the wise old lady or the wise old man. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's definitely uh, leaning into that. That said, in terms of eye acting, I love after the cologne line, Locke just pops up with, I had a sister that died. Uh, and he just starts <laughs> rambling. And you see Sawyer look at Kate like, the f- <laughs> okay we can talk about that like it's just it's it's very emblematic of the moment but um the other thing i'll say too just to keep on this whole Locke is secretly diabolical thing after Locke delivers the line of how genie is dead and his foster mother stopped eating and stopped drinking uh, thought she might do something to hurt herself he pauses and goes "Ooh, that's good uh, yeah. of course in reference to the coffee, one would assume. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, it's that kind of juxtaposition of, what did you see? I saw my sister dead. Good. Hey, someone drowned at the island. Oh, I think the island's beautiful. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I, 
He's, he's, he's a sinister guy. <laughs> not a read the room fella. You know, I no longer drink coffee, much to my dismay. But I cannot imagine how good it would feel to have a sip of coffee after being on the island for, I think there it's like 20 or 30 days. Like, oh, no, it's been like over a month, I think, at this point. Can you imagine just like waking up in the jungle and suddenly someone just brings you a hot cup of coffee after not having that? I, oh, my God. Yeah, it'd be pretty sweet. Be enough to make me forget about the boar. <laughs> make you forget about your telling your story about your sister's broken neck. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so <laughs> do we find out later that like Locke was raised by a series of foster families or was it just one? I think it's, I think he's in and out of foster care. Yeah. I, I do love Terry O'Quinn. Don't get me wrong. I, but it is incredible to get a script with, uh, my sister Jeannie died breaking her neck off the monkey bars is a ridiculous line i love that he just very nonchalantly is like yeah no sister genie died fun like fun it's it's like only in the only in the hands of uh of someone like terry o'quinn can you have that line and not think about how ridiculous it sounds (laughs) when kate asks if the dog was genie Locke says that would be silly but his mother thought it was and it gave her peace and then he smiles at Sawyer. He gives a silly little smile. And this doesn't have to be the case. I think Locke is very good at picking up on stuff. But how much sense would it make that Locke was actually at their campsite while they were playing that game the other night and just decided to let himself be known when he like wanders out of the jungle? I can absolutely see that being the case. And it would make a ton of sense. So that it's not just old man pops up with a metaphor. But (laughs) he did just give me an image of not the boar taking Sawyer's stuff, (laughs) but Locke taking it and peeing on his shirt. (laughs) 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 So I tried to get Zayd to kill you. I'm still going to pee on your stuff. Um, But yeah, this is the third anecdote of Locke's that I can recall because there was the Michelangelo one where he's talking to Boone about looking at the hatch there's the moth monologue that he gives to Charlie and there's the genie one and I feel like he definitely says something to Jack although I don't know if it's like if it's a full like anecdote so it really has this has become the thing that Locke does he just shows up in the episode to dispense this uh, sage wisdom anyway next flashback Frank Duckett has set up his shrimp truck in the most remote part of Sydney, Australia, which also looks an awful lot like a field in Hawaii. (laughs) We learn Sawyer's name is James. He leaves after ordering shrimp with hot sauce and goes to a bar. And um, I think Frank Duckett looks appropriately run down. Like, this is a guy who has had a tough life and does not seem to be doing great. In the bar, Sawyer runs into Christian Shepard, Jack's dad. And speaking of Frank Duckett looking run down, the makeup department has done a stellar job of making Christian look like absolute shit. He's got that alcoholic flush to his face. He looks a little bloated. He's got broken capillaries, watery eyes. His shirt's undone like just enough to see that he's not taking care of himself. 
His hair's longer. It. This is the look of a man who is on is is on a serious bender. He's on the final bender. He's a, he is on the final bender. <laughs> Jack Bender is directing him on his final bender. <laughs> he says Australia is as close as you can get to hell without being burned. He tells Sawyer that Sawyer is here too, and Christian's whole demeanor for a second changes when Sawyer tells the bartender to leave the bottle. Like his eyes, like that little thing that he does, where like he's being all jovial, they're just sharing a drink, and then like, he's like, huh? like it's, it's, it's there for a second, and then it's, oh man. So he slides over to Sawyer. I need to find John Terry and other things. I've never I... seen him in anything else. No, I, I, I haven't even looked him up, and yet I, I know from seeing him now in... Is this his second episode? No, this... Third. Oh, White right, because he does yeah. have a... Yeah, he has a... Yeah. Well, only says because, like, as you point out, like, he's barely paid attention to Sawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I... Because I do love... I forget what it is that Sawyer says, because even though Sawyer is very clearly in his own head, going through his own shit, Christian, he asks him... Or what is it? Uh, uh, Sawyer asks him, what's your handle mm-hmm. or something? And uh, uh, instead of saying, uh, oh, I'm Christian, he says, I was the chief of surgery. And it's like, it feels like he's not even listening to him. Like, <laughs> that this might as well... And a, a similar thing when Sawyer says something to the effect of, I was here on business. and Or yeah, even the hell line. I think it is something like, uh, if you still have that transcript up, it's something like... <laughs> How this is done is so remarkable. It does look like John Terry is trying to simultaneously uh, vent his woes as well as score some free booze and kind of try and maybe offer a little bit of goodwill towards the Samaritan that's giving him booze. It is remarkable watching this man work. (laughs) So his his actual line is, don't let the air conditioning fool you, son. You are here, too. You are suffering. But don't beat yourself up about it. It's fate. Some people are just supposed to suffer. That's why the Red Sox will never win the damn series. He talks about his son. He reveals that he's actually proud of him for what he did, that he loves him, and that he could tell him all this with a phone call, but he won't because he's weak. And as much as I like the writing of this episode... I almost think that final line of because he's weak is too clean. Like it would have made more sense to me if Sawyer had asked him like, well, why don't you? And Christian just looked at him and just was like, because I I think that saying he's weak is not the whole story. I think that because what I feel that Christian is saying is that he does love his son. He is proud of him, but he is also furious at him at the same time. Like he's obviously he has to be. He's, his son flushed his entire life away. Well, Christian flushed his entire life away. His son just let people know that he was doing that. Um, <laughs> but it's it's great. I mean, all of that is is great. Unfortunately, as we have seen uh, in White Rabbit, where Christian uh, will dispense terrible advice, he gives Sawyer terrible advice, which is uh, go out and kill that guy. Obviously, whoa, he doesn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't know that's what he's telling him to do. <laughs> but that is what he's telling him to do. Yeah, he says, "Don't be like me. Ease your suffering, sir." Yeah. So Sawyer misinterpreted the message. 
He should ease his suffering, do what he came to do in Sydney. And so we see Sawyer return to the shrimp shack. Just briefly, as a digression, years ago, seeing actors in movies, there were certain ones that felt like a, it was the early aughts equivalent of watching a Marvel movie where it's like, oh, Captain America's an Iron Man. Because I remember watching like the buddy comedy movies when it's like, let's pair Jackie Chan with Owen Wilson. I'm like, oh, they're going to put those two together. <laughs> um, and being excited about that. And I remember, I think The Departed was the first action movie I saw. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know DiCaprio and Matt Damon in the same movie? Um, <laughs> that idea was so novel to me where I'm like, dude, that's so cool. I, Cause I always saw them as like, they were leading men in their own movies. So getting a crossover like that is super cool. I will say uh, how that relates to lost is yeah. I still get that kind of joy from seeing Christian Shepard cross into Sawyer's world. Same with Boone's episode. When you do see Sawyer in the background, I'm like, Oh, look at that. Sawyer's in this flashback. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I feel like sometimes when we're reviewing these episodes, stuff like that, that is so essential to what Lost is, it's such a basic part of it that I don't even mention it. And you're absolutely right. One of the joys of watching the show for the first time, especially as the show goes on and the seasons go on and there start being more of these, like, is seeing those connections and being like, well, wait a second. This show isn't just about people on an island and finding out who they are via flashback. There's actually something else going on here. Like, there is a reason why these people are popping up in each other's flashbacks. Like, there are connections here. They're too numerous for it to just be happenstance. Like, the show is telling us something. And you're absolutely right. That was really magical, watching the show and waiting you know on the edge of your seat being like okay where is this gonna go like who's gonna show up here and what is that gonna tell me about this story and i think having watched the series a few times it's easier to sort of just sit back and like let the show happen and see how individual things develop but seeing it for the first time that really was just cool like it was just cool to see that and you're it makes me happy as well they did it first before the Avengers is what we're is what we're saying here. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, it's a yeah. Just as a moving looking ahead thing, I don't feel like they overdo it either. Like I, you know, like I. In fact, if anything, I feel like I could probably stand to have more of it. I uh, think I disagree. I think that the one thing that Lost does over the successive seasons is overdo it. I think they overdo everything. <laughs> Do do characters cross paths more in the past than? I think so. I think that we we start seeing more and more, and I think part of that is because we start losing people because we start you know people start dying off. But part of it is that that I think season one of Lost and the rest of Lost are two different shows in a way where season two through six is this is what the show is. It's, it's all of this crazy shit. And I think the first season has more of a balance of this is a character drama with some crazy shit in the background. And I think the, the crazy shit starts to overtake the show. Well, okay. So 
this is a t- I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and not ramble too long on this because I also feel like this could be a put a pin in it. Let's talk about season structure. Yeah. Uh, because I think about this a lot when you mention how when season three ends, it was simultaneously whoa, and then also oh, so are we gonna spend season four getting back? Yeah, we're gonna spend season four mm-hmm. getting back, and it's and so you you already know like what the gap is that's gonna be filled. Uh, you bring in the subjects of season one versus seasons two to six. I get that sensation with season one, where because the island is so unknown, to me, even though they've discovered the hatch, it is unclear to me what the season finale is going to be. Yeah. And, of course, when season two kicks off, I do know, even when I watch it the first time, that's like, okay, okay, if they don't stop pushing the button within like the first three episodes, that's going to be the season finale. And sure enough, that's the season finale. And it's like, oh, okay, okay. Um, and I, <laughs> I remember the other seasons playing out in a similar fashion of like, there's going to be the one big arching mystery. Because then I think even then, like season three is like, it starts with the others and it's like, okay, so there's going to be a climax with the others. And I even, I don't know if you remember this, but I distinctly remember with the season three finale when it got like, uh, when it was airing at the time, I think you had texted me or we were talking and you were like, oh, did you see they, they got an extra hour? And I was like, well, what time did they get the hour for? And you were like, oh, like, because well, we were trying to figure out when it starts. And you're like, oh, it's an hour prior. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because that's like during the prime time. So no one is going to die. Nothing exciting <laughs> like that is going to happen. Because it was like, <laughs> you saved the later half hour for, it was later. And that, you know, like it was that kind of stuff where you could kind of map out I know that there's going to be certain beats that they're going to hit. And what's exciting about season one that I don't No, Yeah, I'll go there. I'll say it's a failing of the show to not capture the sense of mystery and wonder of season one, because I get that you need to have anchor points direction for the characters to go in. But season one is great because it is kind of aimless in a way where you can have an episode like Homecoming or Outlaws that don't do much in terms of forwarding the overarching narrative because there isn't really one right now. And so the show can keep being anything. And I, I think that there is something valuable to that. Uh, And I'm not even necessarily sure how you would keep it going, uh, except that you would have to have new mysteries and resolve things faster. But yeah, I, I, I know this gets into the whole serialized television thing and stretching out a narrative that you don't have time for now. But <laughs> it is it is interesting because uh, I, I am 100 percent. I totally agree. I think season one is completely different. I think it's a such a unique beast. Yeah, absolutely. We go back to the island. Said goes to Charlie and gives him some good, straightforward advice i like that it's not preachy he tells him what happened will be with you for the rest of your life what i'm telling you is you're not alone so don't pretend to be i like how this works not only for you know charlie's storyline but saeed is also commenting on what is happening with sawyer that that murder will be with him for the rest of his life or the rest of his purgatory as will not turn out to be the case but we both know it's the case and I like that Saeed doesn't try to sugarcoat it. 
he's not overly nice about it. He's not shitty about it. He just sort of says what he has to say, and then he, you know, leaves Charlie to contemplate it. And Charlie really seems to take this to heart. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I like about Charlie that I don't think I appreciate as much the other times in my life I've watched this series. But we saw this side of Charlie with Rose, where she tells him to ask for help, and instead of being petulant, eventually he says, like, help me, please. And yeah, I, I forget now what he says in response to Saeed, but I, he's open. I, I really like that. Yeah, same. Uh, Sawyer gets another one of my very favorite lines from the show, which is, I take comfort in knowing one day this will be a real nice shopping complex. <laughs> Just wandering <laughs> yeah. through the jungle. I want to tell you, he says this again. I vaguely feel like he says it again. You think so? I think he does at some point. He probably says something similar, like you know, this will be a mall. But yeah, well, I will look out for it. Because yeah, it does. I this does stick in my mind. I would not be surprised if he says the same thing or something similar uh, in another episode. Sawyer grabs a piglet, which is, it feels very intense. Kate is very upset. I will tell you from personal experience, it is not easy to catch a piglet. And they, they do scream. They, they, oh man, they scream. Uh, <laughs> in the, in the final flashback, Sawyer shoots Frank Duckett and finds With out. With the slowest moving bullet ever. That was, that was odd, right? That was, must've been like a digital effect. Do you think? Like something wasn't right. Either the timing of the, the, the light or the smoke or, or something just looks wrong about it. He finds out immediately that he's not Sawyer, that he just owed money to Hibbs, and Sawyer is broken. The look on his face in the rain is, uh, he knows right away that this was a terrible thing that he has done, and it was the wrong thing, and he's been played for a fool. And, uh, yeah, I always felt like the actor who plays Frank Duckett really sells the, I've been shot in the chest, and it is very uncomfortable. Uh, it is... <laughs> Just the way that he just curls up and he's just like wheezing out his last lines like, oh, God, you just feel bad for the guy. And then he doesn't like make any excuses or apologize or nope. say get help. He just says, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> oh, man. When he and says, it'll, says yeah, it'll come back around. Do you think he's just talking about just bad stuff in general or that specifically something bad is going to happen to Sawyer. I felt like he was just commenting on like the world that they both live in, like for Hibbs, for himself, for Sawyer, that it'll come back around. That's how I felt too. I just, it's like, he's clearly dying. Just look at you. Like it already seems like the light is leaving his eyes. He's just kind of like, Oh, come back. (laughs) I can't worry about this. Like, I think it's that, that kind of like, as you're, I mean, I wouldn't know, but you know, I, I can imagine as you're sitting there dying, and at that point, there's literally nothing you can do. It's like you're simultaneously running through all your thoughts. What what am I angry about? What am I sad about? Does it matter to be sad or angry at this point? No. Uh, yeah, it's just it'll come back around. Actually pretty profound. I never thought about that. Now I'm just going to be staring at my ceiling uh, as I try to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> Thinking about <laughs> come back around. <laughs> It's like it's like your life is a train you missed, and you're like, well, I'll get the next one. <laughs> that would actually be so much comfort. So after being abandoned by Kate, Sawyer is confronted by the boar, and he chooses not to shoot it. And I know that 
since we've both seen television before, it's probably a foregone conclusion that he's not going to shoot the boar. But I feel like having seen his flashbacks and seen what's gone on, I feel like the act of Sawyer confronting the boar and choosing not to shoot it is the moment itself is more important than the fact that he doesn't shoot the boar. You can see that he is processing this sin that he has committed. I don't know if the word would be accepting it, but certainly not making his peace with it per se, but it's, this is one of the many reasons why I like the episode is that the, the, the realization, the, that processing that Sawyer goes through and Kate watching him do it feels very emotionally poignant to me. Yeah. Well, and I like that he doesn't know that Kate's watching him. Like yeah. it very much is he's in his own head. And um, I know that we've seen Sawyer shoot. I, I get, you know, multiple people and animals at this point. Um, <laughs> this is the first time where I'm like, is he left-handed? <laughs> is he holding the gun in his left hand? Yeah, every time I see him on the screen, he's holding the gun in his left hand. I didn't even pick up on that. Huh. On the beach, we see Michael building the raft. Charlie takes that walk with Claire, which is very nice. So he's also processing his grief. And then in the final scene of the episode, which when I remember when I first watched this episode, I just yelled aloud at the screen. So it starts off with, Sawyer pointing a gun at Jack and Jack makes the correct observation that pointing a gun at someone isn't funny. And Sawyer gives it back to him. We get a little bit of crazy eyes Jack when he asks what Kate gave him to get him to give back the gun. And then Sawyer realizes that Christian was Jack's father and also learns that he's now dead and chooses not to tell Jack what Christian told him. And oh man, I... I feel slightly better knowing now that before this season is over, he is going to reveal that truth. But at the time, this was like yet one more secret on the island that, oh, you want it to be revealed. Like you want Sawyer to give Jack closure. It's uh, it's so like you get why he doesn't do it because Sawyer and Jack have got their whole bullshit going on. And you also see. It's funny that we've seen Jack in the last few episodes. He's kind of softened a little bit and he's been nicer and and he seems to be joking with people. And then this whole thing with Ethan happened and that seems to have really soured him again. And you can see in Jack's posture, in his face, in his tone, he really could use someone telling him that his father loved him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sawyer sees that, recognizes it. And chooses to save it for another day. 